0: My name is Jaron Young. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmaus and uh, get to bring the word to you this morning. And I'm, I'm so excited for that. Before we get into that, let me also remind you, because I'm having a hard time finding my place here. There we go. Uh, if you have not yet, as one of our members, uh, if you have not been by the Mission Center this morning to uh, cast your vote. Uh, for a new position that's coming open. Uh, we are so excited how God's at work, but please make sure you do that after the service. Uh, you'll have a, a, an opportunity uh, to do that. Well, I pray you've had a restful and fruitful summer so far. It is winding down, sorry, students and kids, uh, but I am thankful, I think we all are, for God's kindness. Uh, to our church, to our kids, our students, and our families, uh, the baptisms we just got to experience. Um, Jim Lee Hugh being able to celebrate his family this summer, and so it's, it's been a wonderful summer for us as a church. And uh, we are really excited still, uh, as the new school year comes, what else God has in store for us. And so we're thankful and looking forward to that. Um, at Emmaus, we talk a lot about the work of God through the lens of up, in, and out. Um, in other words, we, we want to ponder God's work uh, and his word, his nature that would lead us up in prayer and praise. We also, in other words, want to uh, see God work in us um, to impact us personally in regards to salvation, growing in holiness with others. Um, and we want that work to, to move out. Um, as we proclaim and display Jesus to those near and far. And so the next three weeks, we're going to look at every single one of those aspects. This morning, we're going to look up. Um, and maybe you've taken notice that, Jaron, we only sang one song. Well, I have a, an hour-long message for us this morning, so we're cutting all the music. And that is, not, that is not a true statement. We're, we're going to sing in response this morning um, after uh, the message this morning. And so if you want to, you can go ahead and get your Bibles out or your phones to Psalm 66. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, Owen, on a, on a few occasions, either through conversation or in his sermons, um, has mentioned his uh, struggle uh, with the whole idea of gift-giving. Um, I can always relate to that when he starts talking about that. I am an overthinker by nature. And so trying to determine the best gift to give you or someone, it just completely stresses me out. What should be an enjoyable opportunity to express my sincere love for someone just becomes something I, I loathe. I just, I just hate it. And, and so if you're one of the rare people who've received a gift from me, uh, it's most likely really awkward and strange with no kind of understanding of, okay, thank you, I appreciate it. Uh, that's just me. Um, I hate that about myself, and I hate it for my wife, God bless her, but she is so gracious and kind to me, Um, but you think about that idea of gift giving, what about God? What is it that you and I could give the creator of all things? Before we jump into Psalm 66, uh, it'll be on the screen, I want to read Romans chapter 11 verses 33 through 36, it says this, As we look at this passage of Scripture, God literally has no needs. God is perfectly content and happy within himself. He isn't waiting around for us to give him something that we have that he doesn't. And so what in the world could we give God? In Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, to him be glory forever. The only thing we can give God is glory But again, not because he needs it, but because the weight of his nature, the weight of his character, and the works that he has done, it demands glory. And so giving God glory is a massive topic to which we cannot cover in a 30-minute sermon this morning. But I do want to look at one aspect of giving God glory from the perspective of Psalm 66. And so that's where we're going to turn this morning. And we're going to ask a few questions this morning. Some of these will be obvious and straightforward, like the first one. And that is, what does God deserve? And the answer is, he deserves nothing less than praise. And so let's look at Psalm 66 and read the first four verses. It says this, Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. And so in these four verses alone, we're commanded to shout for joy. We're commanded to sing praise and to tell God about his awesome deeds. All of these postures of praise, if you will, is a phrase I'll use a lot this morning, or expressions of praise, are related to what we are called to do with our mouth. And so there are many, many other verses within the Psalms calling us to praise God in that same way. But the Psalms also prescribe other postures of praise related to our physical posture, and they should be on the screen for you in Psalm 95.6. It says, O come, let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our maker. Psalm 22, 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all of you offspring of Israel. Psalm 149, three, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with the tambourine and lyre. And then finally, we have a whole other set of psalms commanding postures of praise related to our hands. Psalm 33, two and three. Oh, give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of 10 strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Playing instruments. And then in Psalm 47, one, clap your hands. All peoples, shout to God with loud songs of joy. And then finally, Psalm 134, two says, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. The Psalms—that's so a new one. The Psalms are stocked full of postures of praise that involve our mouths, our hands, and and even our entire bodies. And so, for a lot of us, even myself, some of these postures may seem awkward, foreign, strange. But in reality, the postures themselves—they're not strange and they're really not unfamiliar to us. We participate in these postures of praise maybe without even thinking about it in other areas of life. For example, earlier this month, I had the joy of officiating uh, Grayson and Kylie Green's wedding. And when uh, Kylie walked down the middle aisle, guess what everybody did? They stood up. I pronounced them husband and wife. Guess what happened next? Yay! Much like we saw during the baptisms this morning, people celebrated. They clapped and they shouted. And then we went inside and they cut the cake. You'll never guess what happened then. Music started playing and people started dancing. That's what happened. And all of it was appropriate. It wasn't awkward. In fact, they were actually just good gifts of expression to thank God for the good gift of marriage. Um, I think of another example Um, I will never ever forget my oldest son's first t-ball game. Um, Mind you, at the time, have grace on me, for some of you, I hated baseball. Um, I only mildly hate it now, I severely hated it then. Um, So my son, five-year-old, we got peer pressured from other church members to join this team, so we did. Um, You know who you are. Um, I, I had really no idea what to expect. Maybe misery and hoping this will be the first and last season that we'd ever play. So my son, it's so the first game. He's in his uniform, decked out, and he's got his bat, and just, you know, five-year-old t ball is just something else. And he's, he walks up to the home plate. Uh, Trevor Perrymore was our coach. He sets the ball on the tee. Nathan pulls that back, back and great form, Pow, gets his first hit. And I kid you not, something strange happened inside of me. I, I've, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I don't know that I've ever been more surprised in my life. I, I, I can't over-dramatize this. I was overcome with so much emotion. I started screaming. If you've been to Buck Thomas at the T-ball field, you know what I'm talking about. I was overcome with screaming, jumping. I was crying. And it was all just involuntarily. I just, it was just the craziest experience I cared. (laughs) How about that? What a shocker. I cared about baseball. Anyway, uh, on one hand, our expressions can be more deliberate and decisive, and yet on the other hand, uh, they can be completely spontaneous depending on the situation. And so jumping back to the text, to the Scriptures, regardless postures of praise, expressions of praise, they are not gray areas in Scripture nor are they awkward or strange. And I know how hard this morning this topic may seem to to many of us. Um, Personally, I love to sing. I love to lift my hands to the Lord, but I haven't always. And quite honestly today, I'd feel really strange and vulnerable dancing before you, as I'm sure many of you would feel very strange and awkward about that as well. And I say that because every single one of us in this room, regardless of our church background, what we're accustomed to, we all bring some level of tension when we gather together in praise and what that is to look like for you and I personally. Several months ago, we had the privilege to talk to a worship leader at a church and just to learn about their music ministry and things they do and the topic of biblical postures of praise uh, came up, and he talked about how he encourages his church, reading the Psalms to them that are very blatant, expressing and, and sharing these postures of praise, and, and how he encourages his congregation, his body, to take the next step, to, to make a small change in being expressive in the postures of praise, to express externally the joy we have inside. And, and the question I want to ask you this morning is, is, what would that look like for you? And I think for some of us, we're all different. For many of us, singing just isn't your thing. And maybe you think that staying silent would be doing everyone a favor. I, that very well may be your position, and I completely understand that. I will say that most people don't like the sound of their voice. I, for one, cringe when I have to hear myself sing. I can't stand it. It's just a part of who we are. It's natural for us to not want to be expressive in that. And so for some of you this morning, that small change, that small step is to begin to, to think about the Psalms and to be expressive with your voice and to sing the truths of the Lord. Maybe for some of us singing isn't a problem, but the other expressions and postures of praise littered throughout the Psalms is just a bit too expressive for you because maybe it's, it's, it's not as stoic. The Psalms are not as stoic as maybe your church experience and, and background. For me personally, I'm super thankful for the heritage of faith that I've been blessed with all the years of my life. I'm, I'm thankful for the pastors, the Sunday school teachers, and members of the church I grew up. Some of you are in, in the room. I'm very thankful for that. However, as I recall, The postures of praise that I observed growing up as a kid were pretty minimal, and I don't say that as a slam whatsoever. It was just the culture of of that church, and I can vividly remember as a kid my experience and the thoughts the first few times I observed a person raising their hand in worship to God, and I was like, They're breaking some kind of unwritten rule. It felt strange and awkward to me. I'm just being honest about my experience, but it shouldn't have felt strange and awkward. To me, it seemed like a distraction, but honestly, the real distraction was in me because I was distracted from how overt the Scriptures are in giving us freedom, and in some cases, commanding postures of praise, even those that I'm not accustomed to. And so I want to be extremely clear this morning. I am not trying to be manipulative. As one of your pastors, especially as one who oversees this area of our church, I do feel it's my responsibility to shed some light on the Scriptures to what the Lord, about what God has to say about how we praise Him. This isn't my agenda. I'm just trying to shed light on the Scriptures. God alone, not anyone else, has ordained His own praise And he invites us to express our internal joy externally to him, which brings us back to a really important question. And that is, what inspires praise? What inspires praise? We're going to look at verses 5 through 20 here, and we're not going to be able to dissect everything mentioned in this section. But as you think about this text in verses 5 through 20, over and over and over again, the psalmist is remembering He is reminding himself as well as others about God's character. He is remembering and reminding people about his nature, about his awesome deeds. It's all littered there through five through 20. And this is what inspires praise. Look at verses five through seven. What you see is the psalmist remembers the work that God has done in redemptive history through the people of Israel. Starting in verse five, he says, "'Come and see what God has done. "'He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. "'He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him, who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. And then in verses 8 through 12, the psalmist not only remembers the work of redemptive history in the people of Israel, it's remembering the work that God has done within the congregation. In verse 8, he says, Bless our God, O peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip? For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. Yet you have brought us to a place of abundance. And then in the latter part of the chapter, the psalmist begins remembering and reminding himself and others about the work God has done in him personally. Starting in verse 16, "'Come and hear all you who fear God, "'and I will tell you what He has done for my soul. "'I cried to Him with my mouth, "'and high praise was on my tongue. "'If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, "'the Lord would not have listened. "'But truly, God has listened. "'He has attended to the voice of my prayer.'" blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. What we see over and over and over again in that section of the psalm is is that we individually and together should regularly tend to our own souls by remembering who God is, remembering what he has done and also what he is doing. It's a discipline, it's a practice that we should pursue. And, And how do we do that? really quickly, a couple things. The Word of God. The Word of God is a testimony. It's a gift to help us remember how faithful God has been to His people, generation after generation after generation, despite their own sin and despite their own failure. But not only is the Word of God a good gift, you are a gift to everyone else, and everyone else is a gift To you, we need one another to remember what God is doing here at Emmaus, but also what He is doing in each of us. Let me ask you a few pointed questions. Who in your life do you regularly celebrate the work of God with? Who prays for and with you? With whom do you know well enough to share and listen to burdens and needs? You see, all of these are good gifts, are means by which God gives us the opportunity to know Him and enjoy Him. And and church, we can't enjoy and we can't praise God if we do not know Him. We need the Word of God. We need one another. And that's why the psalmist devotes such a large portion of the psalm appealing to hearts, He doesn't just stop at verse four, telling us to praise God, but he gives us one reason after another to inspire us to shout for joy to God, to sing of his glory, and to give him praise. And so we can surmise from this psalm and what we've discovered so far is that the outward, visible, external postures of praise in verses one through four, they are not independent actions. They are rooted in remembering and enjoying God, which highlights an important posture before a holy God, and that is the posture of our heart. A couple things about our heart. One, very plainly, very obvious, is our hearts before the Lord matter. I want to revisit a text Owen preached just a couple Sundays ago. Jesus said in Mark chapter seven, verse six, he says, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. God isn't merely looking for our verses one through four. He isn't merely looking for our posture, our expressions of praise. He just doesn't need it. But like the psalmist, when we give our hearts to remembering his character, remembering his work and what he has done and what he is doing, we will actually find that it demands everything about ourselves. Our hearts, yes, but also our hands, our mouths, our everything, all of life, all for Jesus. Our hearts matter before the Lord. A second thing to take note of about the heart is when we see it in Scripture, it's not primarily talking about our emotions and feelings, what we kind of tend to think when we see the heart. Um, And of course, in our best moments, we want our expressions of praise, our our posture of praise to come from healthy internal emotions. But the heart in Scripture isn't just about feelings and emotions. It's It's about our motivation. It's about our will. It's about our decisions. So, if today you consider yourself less of an emotional person than the rest of the people you interact with, you are encouraged today. You can decide to obey Scripture in regards, yes, to your expressions of praise, in regards to singing the truths of His Word, whether you're an emotional person or not. Why? Because you love God, because you enjoy Him, you remember what He has done. That may stir you emotionally than it does the person next to you, but irregardless, it doesn't matter particularly about your emotions, praise to God can certainly be connected to emotions. I mean, God gave us those emotions. But primarily, praise is connected to our hearts. In other words, our external expression of praise is rooted to an internal reckoning of who He is. It's a joy that is demonstrated. And so when we read the Psalms, their external praise is a reflection of their heart for the Lord. What does our participation in the expressing of praise to God say about our heart for Him? Friends, like the psalmist, we must be careful to take care to often and always remember and remind our wandering and weary hearts of who God is and what He has done. This inspires praise. And before we move too quickly on, I want to say a word To the person this morning, you're at home uh, watching online, you're walking through an immensely difficult season, and it's just hard to praise. I want to remind you of King David in Psalm 34, and at the time, he's actually fleeing literally for his life from King Saul. And David says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. This morning, like David, you may feel beat down physically, mentally, emotionally, or whatever it might be because of the suffering you are walked through. For some of you, you might feel so utterly far from God like you don't even deserve to be here because of what you've encountered this week with sin and temptation. Today, in times of prayer, in times of song, God invites you to sing. God invites you to lift your hands in him to praise, just like a a weak child knows he needs his daddy. God alone is your help today, and God invites you to remember his grace in your need and in your weakness. God says, come, and so does the psalmist. Verse 5 and 16, we've already read it. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. Today, if your heart is far from God, you just feel far from God, you are in the best place because you are with God's people. You're in the best place. You're invited to come. You're invited to see and hear about all that he has done, invited to draw near with your heart to externally express your praise to him. And this brings us to our final question this morning, and that is a very simple, straightforward question. Who praises God? We know who praises God, his people, not just persons. And what I mean by that is the psalmist was not in his prayer closet writing this psalm just for himself alone. It was written to be declared in the midst of the people, and so verse 5 and verse 16, again, it's, it's come and see. Verse 8, bless the Lord, O his peoples. Verse 16, come and hear. Absolutely all of life as individual believers is to be lived in praise and honor to God and worship. But praise, church, friends, it's, praise is a gift for God's people when they come together. Why? Why does God call us to this right here? Why does God call us to come, to gather, to sing, and to praise? First thing, did you know God sings? Zephaniah 3.17, this is amazing. And the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. What a description of God. What amazing promises to remember and remind ourselves so that we too might be inspired to praise this awesome God. And it's as if at the end of this verse, this loud singing, it's a, it's a culmination of the previous descriptors given. His delight to be with us, to save us, to covenant with us brings about this swell of singing. Uh, guys, throw a picture up on the, on the screen. I don't know who's going to be more embarrassed, me or my mother. Um, in fact, I know who is. Uh, I, can, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. That's going to be my story. So it was nice knowing you. Uh, Mom, I'm so glad you're here this morning to experience this. Uh, I don't mean to embarrass you because I know this is killing you right now. Um, but to honor you, when I think of Zephaniah 317, I think of this. And I think about those days as a young kid, as far as my memory will allow me, sitting in your lap and hearing you sing over me, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. And those fond memories of knowing what care and love and commitment and assurance feels like is a means for me to fight for courage and faith to believe that my God loves me even more You know, for some of us, myself included, sometimes it can be really difficult at times to consider how much God really enjoys us as his children. And Zephaniah 3.17 blows that out of the water. It's a lie not to be embraced and not to be believed. But also, of all the things we could say to describe God, we better not forget that he's a singer. God loves to sing, he loves to sing. Secondly, why are we called to gather and sing? Well, things like gathering and singing and praising—they aren't suggestions in Scripture. The concepts that we've looked at today: come and see, come and hear, bless God, O oh peoples. These are not boxes to check off. Check off to keep up appearances with God or one another. Um, God has rigged them into the system that we would need them. They are necessities for our faith. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, we know there are legitimate reasons for some folks why they would be homebound and prevented from being with us today, but for the rest of us, we should use extreme caution to what we allow to hinder our presence with God's people when we worship together and when we gather. And I I pray that the Holy Spirit would open up our eyes to see the fruit that we are harvesting due to some of those bad habits. Gathering together is a necessity and it isn't a suggestion. It's a gift from God that we should embrace. But what about singing? Did you know there are over 400 references in scripture to singing? 50 of those 400 are direct commands to sing, not sing if you want to or sing if you happen to like it, but no, just sing, just sing, no matter your desire, no matter your passion. Psalm chapter 30, verse 4, for example, says, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. I want to be clear, for some of us in the room, music and singing, it just isn't your wheelhouse just isn't your passion. And I want to say, that's okay. It's not a requirement that you be passionate about music or that you be passionate about singing, but it is so much more than a preferential option when we come together and gather. Anytime believers gather for worship, singing is not an option. It is a command. 50 direct commands ought to be taken seriously. Therefore, the heartbeat of the the worship ministry here at Emmaus is to facilitate that and to encourage you to be obedient, to learn to love what God loves. God loves to sing. It's his gift to us. And God loves to be treasured. He loves to be magnified. He loves to be adored. Thirdly and finally, why does God call us to gather? to praise and to sing. Gathering as believers to praise and sing is an active way to care for souls. Colossians 3.16 says this. says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and thankfulness in your hearts to God. Uh, We might be tempted to look at that verse and see three different, unique, separate commands, if you will. But in reality, they're all intertwined with one another. When we sing about the truth of God, we are actively letting the word of Christ dwell within us. Not to mention, also, we are reminding hearts and minds, our own and others around us, to keep trusting, to keep loving, and to keep following Jesus. We are each other's responsibility. And one of the ways we care for one another is by showing up, singing, and praising the Lord. Several years ago, I found myself in a really dark season. I was struggling and fighting with doubts about God, uh, myself, um, and I'm convinced that one of the graces of God in that time of my life was our gathered worship services. Um, Our hearts are like gardens. Hearing and seeing the the truths of God, even those that were hard to believe in a particular season, was like pulling weeds. It was like water. It was like sunshine. My soul was being tended by you. And if I can take this a little bit further, even today, as your worship pastor, there are Sundays where I feel fragile Sundays where I feel really weak. Sundays where I'm like, I'm the one that's serving our church today to do what I feel like I can't do. And I just need you to hear that on those Sundays, it's your loud singing. It's your visual demonstration of the joy that has, God has put in your heart that calls me to lift my eyes off of myself and my feelings and to turn them to a living God. Church, if anything, I need you. I am encouraged by you this morning and every Sunday. And so as we wrap up in response today, specifically when we gather together for praise, just a few things to remind you about. And the first thing is, is prepare your heart. In other words, come on Sundays expectant, Fight against this mentality that would just check the box and just go through the motions and do it. Uh, Invest moments and times where you're remembering and reminding yourself about the kindness and goodness of God. And I know well enough that sometimes on a Sunday morning, that's probably not going to happen. It's a chore for some of us just to show up, right? So at the very least, Saturday evening, turn the electronics off, Spend some quiet moments reading the Word, praying and asking God to inspire praise in you, to remember how kind He has been in all of history, but even today. And remember what He has done. A second thing in regards to your presence and participation in our worship gatherings, I really want to commend you to pursue obedience and not your preference. And in our preferences Sometimes obedience is really hard because those things are in opposition to one another. It's opposition to what we prefer, to what we are accustomed to, what we are comfortable with. And and it's the whole reason why Jesus called us to take up our cross and die. Because our preferences generally get in the way to following Him. Look away, let's look away from ourselves and let's look to the Word and let's look to Christ. And praise him. And then finally, as we've already discussed here in Colossians, when we gather for worship, we all automatically are always thinking about me. That just comes natural to us. But I want to encourage you to think about we that you would think about when you come on Sunday mornings, you are not coming just so that you can be encouraged, just so that your heart can be reminded about the truth of God. You are coming because you are responsible for the faith of other people around you. You are to care for their souls. Think about what a good gift you are to the people around you. God has worked that into the system to use you to encourage and to inspire people to praise him, even when they're walking through the hardest things of life. And so this morning, as we have gathered together, yes, God deserves praise and glory but more importantly, the weight of who he is and what he has done demands that from us. But again, today, if you feel weak and tired, beat down by sin, without joy in the Lord, maybe so severely, again, you don't feel like you belong here or you don't deserve the blessing of God, or maybe the, the, the conversation today about this visual demonstration of joy, just it just feels awkward and there's a lot of tension. With all of that, What most honors and glorifies God in your situation is just to humble yourself and come. Come as you are, come broken, come with your doubts about his love, come with your joyless heart, come with all of that tension, and just come. And remember that the good news for all of us is that Jesus embraced your sin and its wrath from God for the messes that we have made on the cross. He embraced all of that. But not only did he embrace your sin, he gave you his righteousness. In other words, he gave you his personal record of obedience so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, he sees Christ. What an amazing gift we have been given. How kind God has been to us. May this inspire praise as we look to him because he is worth it this morning. I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna close out our service with some songs of praise as we're gonna remember the truth and be inspired by what he has done to sing and to praise his name this morning. And and in this song, if you need prayer, I know Owen's going to be down here at the front. He's going to be here to receive you, to pray for you, Um, but you are invited to come. You are invited to look away from yourself and to look to Christ and enjoy what he has done for you. Let's pray together. God, we come to you this morning, and we are humbled and thankful for your work in our lives. Lord, there is so much you have done in history. There is so much you have done in our world. You have done so much in our own lives. And God, we are humbled by your grace to pursue us, by your grace to work in us. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us as as people, Lord, not just individual persons, but as people to remember your work. God, that we would be inspired, Lord, to do as the psalmist says, and that is to express our praise to you because you deserve it. God, that that you are here and you are with us, and you call us to enjoy who you are and what you have done. And so this morning, I pray as we sing that we would behold you. We would take it all in as to who you are and what you've done. And Lord, that we would recount those things and also remember that you are enough. Lord, for those in the room whom it is hard to praise, give them grace. Lord, that they can come as they are. And Lord, like outstretched hands to a mom or dad who has everything they need, we can do the same for you. God, we thank you that we can come as we are. And it's your name we pray, amen.